All right. Like I said, this is the after the credits. The movie's over. You're sitting there with your popcorn. You don't know if you should leave or not. But the lights haven't come on yet. And all of a sudden, the screen goes dark. And a new thing comes on the movie. And you're like, we've already seen King David finish up his reign. Absalom, Bathsheba, the whole bit. Now what's going to happen? And what happens next in, in, our, in your paper Bible is 2 Samuel 22. And what's really funny about 2 Samuel 22 is that it's exactly the same as Psalm 18. And so when you have one Bible like this, like all the Bibles in our pews, you might think, why would they have Psalm 18 here and 2 Samuel 22 here and they're exactly the same? And this is where it gets really, it just reality hits. That it's only been in the last hundred years or so that people did this. That people had a whole Bible in one thing that you could, you could stack up the backs of your pews with it. You could prop up things in your house with it. You've got Bibles all over the place, right? People would have parchments. People would have scrolls, especially Jewish people. Every man would write out and copy out Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books for his own personal copy. And that was kind of your part, one of your rites of passage into manhood, that you would do those first five books. So you didn't have the whole thing. And the other part is none of this, except for maybe the Gospel of Luke. Luke and Lamentations. <laughs> and then Paul's letters were things that were written. So Paul's letters, probably James, probably 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, those things, those were written down things. But most of the Old Testament was kind of like a ballad or a song that you would sing to remember the events of something that happened. Like Dead Man's Curve. Okay, you guys know the song Dead Man's Curve? It's like from the 50s, it's a hot rod song. You'll never, it's like, it's not Beach Boys, but it's, so, it's in that era. And it's tough, okay, I'll go there. You remember the song, Tell Laura I Love Her? It's like the saddest, most gut-wrenching song ever. And the guy wants money to buy a wedding ring for his girlfriend, so he joins the demolition derby, and he goes and wrecks and dies, and his last words are... Okay, that song is horrible, and it tells a story. And now it's stuck in my head. Um, that story that's told by that song is how a lot of the Old Testament was preserved is by re-singing these songs re-singing these songs we heard about these guys in like 1972 Bill Monroe went to Africa to Rwanda and played bluegrass for people in Rwanda and there's this one little tribe that paid so much attention to him that three years ago these people went to visit Rwanda and there's this whole group of Bill Monroe bluegrass players 
in Rwanda and they speak Rwandese or you know whatever language they speak in Rwanda they are um, dark-skinned African men but when they sing bluegrass songs they have Kentucky accents that was has been preserved for 50 years from when Bill Monroe went to this little village in Rwanda all the way to now so that's how this is preserved so if it's preserved like that when people start writing it down they're going to write down the sections that they know, the sections that they have. So when the psalm people start writing down the psalms, they're going to write down the psalms that they know. And when the historians start writing down the history of King David, and there's a spot where he wrote a psalm, they're going to put that in there in its place. And so all of a sudden, you've got people documenting and recording and writing down and some of them are writing down psalms, and this happened, and this is how it goes. We, we don't have this concept in Western education systems, but in Eastern education systems, memorization is the number one thing. Memorize, memorize, memorize. Memorize it exactly and recite it exactly. Westerners, we're a little bit more rebellious. We deal in thoughts and concepts and what can you do with it, what new thing you can make so we invent the internet and stuff like that. The other cool thing is that since this is written down in ancient times in Psalms as Psalm 18, and since it's written down since ancient times separately as what would later be called 2 Samuel 22, is that there's a whole lot of study comparing the writings and comparing what they do and comparing how it all goes. What does this have to do with anything? Well, the, there's a bunch of theories, and the one that I like the best is you know how there will be an old song, and then somebody will take that old song and put it with another old song that's like in the same key, and all of a sudden it's blended into a medley, and now you can't hear Swing Low Sweet Chariot without This Train Is Bound For Glory, or whatever those two songs are together. A lot of historians think that 2 Samuel 22 is two songs. One song was written and sung by David when he was on the run. And some of it was written while he was on the run, and most of it was written after he found relief. And after he was, ah, yes. And so you've got sort of a song about a guy that God is rescuing and God is taking care of. It's kind of like the, the adolescent teenager stage. Then the second song is the strong old man stage. And it is God has established me. This is who I am. This is what God made me into. So the first song is like David in his teens and 20s. The next song is sort of when he's rich and established in his 40s and 50s. Okay? And we'll, you'll be able to see where the break is if you think of it that way. All right, so I'm going to give you a bunch of lenses. you got the goggles to put on. They're going to look at this. I'll stay calm. I'll give you two sets. I'll give you some different goggles to wear here. you got the goggles of... This is two different songs sung by David, celebrating his deliverance in his youth and then looking back at the victory in his old age. 
The other pair of goggles I want you to wear, this is what we, wear, we look at all scripture like this, is that it was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit at the time for that specific person. I'm seriously not moving. It's making me... How's that? Maybe, maybe it just shifted a little. It applies to the person that the Holy Spirit inspired and comforted at the time. It applies to Jesus in some way. And it's going to be really wild to look at how this psalm written about a thousand BC applies to Jesus. And then it applies to all of us. And sometimes scripture applies to us as a warning. Sometimes it applies to us as an encouragement. Sometimes it implies to a warning or an encouragement, depending on how you deal with it. It's up to you, which is pretty scary and pretty awesome. So that's what we're going to be looking for. We're going to be looking for how did this minister to David? How did the Holy Spirit minister to David at the time that he wrote this? How is this fulfilled in Jesus? How did Jesus live this out? And then how does it apply to us? What's going on with us? What am I what is Dan Sullivan going to do with Psalm 18 this week or today? So it starts. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Probably before he ever fell with Bathsheba. So it doesn't say that, but this was probably written before the whole Bathsheba event, because we know once Bathsheba happened, then Absalom happened, then the kingdom fell, and it was all in turmoil, and it was splitting, and then 2 Samuel 23 happened where he was an old guy. So, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. In this opening thing, David calls God nine different things. This week, I just want to challenge you on a random, random moment. Maybe it's Tuesday at lunch. Write down a list of 10 things that God is. Right? He's holy. He's glorious. He's pure. He's righteous. He's wise. If you write that list down, I was talking to a guy that was having a hard time. And I said, hey, man, just random times while you're having a hard time, tell God things about him. Tell just just pray. You know, it's not a prayer. It's like, oh, Lord. It's just, God, you're awesome. God, you're creative. God, you make beauty. There's trees falling down in our park and exploding transformers and all this business. God, you are powerful. Just telling God truths about himself. And if you wonder if that works, oh boy. You who are evil, we who are evil, how much do we respond when people tell us things that we know about ourselves, right? I tell my wife she's beautiful all day long. She knows that. She never, I never say that and she's like, oh, I am, right? 
Does that build our relationship? Yes. Is it true? Yes. Does that transform me as I tell her that? Yes. Does it transform her as I tell her that? Yes. If we are fallen, right, bruised equipment, no offense, how much greater is this relationship between us and God going to grow as we just tell him all day long things that are true about himself? Gosh, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. This is a guy who literally lived in rocks to find refuge from being killed. <laughs> so when he says, God, you are my rock, he could have a specific one in mind that was huge and had a hole in the side of it that he crawled into to hide from Saul. Okay, he, he is speaking from experience. Verse five, for the waves of death encompassed me and the torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me and the snares of death confronted me. Sheol was the Hebrew word for where people go when they die. Everybody. It's where everybody goes when they die and they'll get sorted out on the last day. This is how bad off David was. Sometimes I have a depressed day and I am down. I do not ever think the cords of death are around me and this is it. And I am just going to go get buried in a hole. That is all that's left for me. That's where David was. David had moments of such hopelessness that he thought all he had left was to get pulled down into a dark hole to stay. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. God is listening. No matter how much you think nobody else is listening. <laughs> there have been times where I've said, I, I've said something to somebody and I'm like, am I still here? Can you still, am I, am I present in this room? <laughs> I'll say that at work. Am I the only, I remember one day in the office, I said, am I the only one in this room? And somebody said from their cubicle, I'm here. And I was like, okay, somebody else is present. God is listening. Not only is he listening, he is not listening and occupied with some nonsense. He is not busy. He is sitting in his temple. What do kings do in temples? They sit in their temples. It is not a workplace. It is not a, oh, I got it. I got it. It's not a house built in 1906 where I live, where I always have to do something. There's never an end to what I have to do in my temple. God is sitting, resting, and listening. He is ready to be interrupted. All right, so this next section, I want you to think, I need help and I need somebody to come and help me. And I need help so bad. Do you want help that's gonna like come real slow and, and walk down every aisle and watch out for things? Or are you, are you in help and you're in target and your helper is just mashing through every aisle, just a straight line straight to you, throwing the tide, throwing the diapers, 
milk jugs flying everywhere and they're just smashing through everything to get straight to you to help you. I called the Lord. He heard my cry. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him as canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Whoa. This is a mom when her little kid gets knocked down by a bully on the playground. Right? The mom is coming. This is the dad when his daughter is shamed at work or at a high school right it's just hulk coming i call to my god and he shows up to help me like this you know the whole business of telling god things that are true about him and telling god what is true and addressing him this is how god answers our prayers we feel like god does not answer our prayers and we feel like god doesn't listen god gets up from his chair, spills his drink, dumps the table over, and runs straight to you to deliver you. Wow. He's sent from on high. Oh, oh, oh. This whole business of the channels of the sea were seen? You know what that is? When Moses parted the Red Sea and the ocean went back and you could see the bottom of the Red Sea and they walked on it, that's how powerful God is coming to help. So when David says, God, just fire's coming out of his nose and there's hot coals and there's lightning. He's just like, where's my kid? It's like when God delivered Israel from Egypt. It's just the same. It's the same God. The same God that delivered from Egypt, David says, is delivering me when I call on his name. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Remember all the stories we read about David running from Saul? How Saul would have a whole army coming around this side of the mountain, and David would be over here hiding, and then all of a sudden Saul would get called off, and he'd take the whole army and go away. David would be pursued by all of Saul's army, and David's got 400 men, and they're all hiding in caves. And Saul has to use the bathroom and accidentally picks the cave that David is hiding in. Saul is pursuing David with his whole giant army. They all put out this camp and they all go to sleep. And David sneaks down into right into Saul's tent next to his head and takes his spear. God is rescuing him. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the, board, the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place 
He rescued me because he delighted in me. Just underline that super big. If you ever wondered why the answer to every why, why would God ever do this for me? Why would God ever save me? He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David knows that God delights in him. And it's not because of anything David did. All David did was sit with sheep and get bored all day long. In his spare time, he worships God and God says, that's my king. Did David deserve to be king? Did he do any? No, he's the youngest kid in the smallest tribe. What in the world? He probably stuck out like a sore thumb because he had red hair in amongst a bunch of people with black hair. That's my king. He rescued me because he delighted in me. What's really cool, the, it's not just that he likes, it's not just he delighted me in me. There's something in this Hebrew phrase that says he liked me more than other people. <laughs> so it sounds arrogant and whatever, you know, uh, I see three pieces of cake and I pick one because I like cake, but I like that piece of cake more. That's the, I, if I was speaking ancient Hebrew, I would use that same phrase that they use here. He rescued me because he likes me, but he also really likes me specifically. I'm his favorite. So remember how I said the Holy Spirit, this writing is here for the Holy Spirit to minister to David. Do you think David needed to know that God liked him a whole lot when he's hiding in a cave and everybody's getting killed all around him and he got anointed king, but now he's a homeless man. And he needed the Holy Spirit to tell him, I like you, David. Do you think Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross and felt totally betrayed by his best of friends and so lonely and so cut off needed to know this truth that God delights in me, that God picked me. Like there's all these other people that could have tried to live a sinless life, but he picked me and I did it. And he loves me even though I'm hanging on this cross. And then you guys, God loves you specifically. It says in Acts 19, God chose the time and the places that we would live, every one of us, so that we would seek after him. God knew the best chance for Dan Sullivan to seek Jesus was to get born at St. Mary's of Mary Jude Becker and Tim Sullivan on July 31st, 1974, and here I am. He stacked the cards in my favor so that I would seek after him. And he did that for every one of us, every one of you. God said the best chance he's going to have, the best chance she's going to have to follow me is at this time in this place. Go. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. 
According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. Okay, now hold on a second. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's going on here? Well, guess what? This section is the middle section between the two songs. So the first part of the song was God. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my shield. He's my salvation. He did all of these things. He, I called on him and he was like, where's my boy? And he came bursting on the scene to save me and to rescue me. And now it ends with he rescued me because he really, God really likes me a lot. And now you've got this little bridge in the middle, this little do 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 do. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. He rewarded me for I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. All of his rules were before me and from his statutes. I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanliness in his sight. This is all what God has made you. David is the same guy that would write, blessed is the man whose sin is not counted against him. Because he would know that someday a savior is going to take that sin away. He would be quoted by Paul in the book of Romans. Blessed is the man whose sin is not counted against him. Because he's looking ahead to when Jesus would take away your sin and your sin doesn't count. It doesn't count against you. Wow. Then about verse 26 ish. It all becomes more about what God has done and less about what I did when I called on the Lord. With merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. This is all an encouragement. It's turned from being about me to y'all. Turn to the Lord. Have refuge in him. Look at how much I've been saved. I was a shepherd punk kid, the youngest of seven. And now I'm king. Turn to the Lord. Who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge. He has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war. All right, now it's going to get real. (laughs) This section starting in 35. I want you to imagine um, the perfect warrior... So, because war is all about how they do things in David's day. The ultimate warrior being formed. Okay? He trains my, he sets my feet like the feet of a deer. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Whoa. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. Hmm. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. 
I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with the strength for the battle, and you made those who rise against me sink under me. Little weak David, anointed king as a boy, runs basically a homeless man and a fugitive and hated. Very, very rough, desperate, you know, thought all that's left for me is the tentacles of hell to grab me and just pull me down into the dirt, right? And then all of a sudden he gets built and he gets hands and he gets arms. So if you go to the sporting goods store and you go buy a bow, they have bows and they're measured in the poundage of the draw. And so if you get a kid's bow and arrow, you get like a 15 pound draw. And that means you have to have 15 pounds of strength to pull that bow back, right? If you're experienced and you're going to be in the Olympics and you're going to take down a bear or something crazy, you get like an 80 pound. And now you have to have 80 pounds of pull power. When he says, you've trained my hands so that I can bend a bow of bronze. That's kind of ridiculous. That's like, he's just talking nonsense now. Um, it's, it's like, I'm, that dude is so tough, he's got a 90-pound hammer, right? It's like, there's no way you could use a 90-pound hammer. But if you could, oh my gosh, you'd be like the strongest. Okay, dude's so tough, he can bend a bronze bow. What? What are you talking about? Like, they would have all kinds of hardwoods. They might have a little bit of iron in it, a little bit of metal. But, oh my gosh, this thing's made up, like... If you had one out of bronze, it would be for display only. You would not really be bending that thing, shooting arrows with it. He's made me that strong. God has made me that strong. He's made my feet nimble. He's given me a wide place to walk. I don't even slip. And I can beat all of my enemies. So today we do not live like this at all. Praise God. <laughs> we are not, we're not making it in the world by smashing our enemies under our feet or anything like that. But the concept is the same and God does not change. When I was starting a new job and I was really, I, I had to learn a whole lot of stuff really, really fast. And a friend of mine said, what kind of web designer do you think Jesus is? And that totally like threw me off. I was like, Jesus isn't a web designer. And no, that's not me. That's up there. Jesus is in me doing my job. And so if Christ is in me doing my job, oh, then Christ is a web designer. And I can call on his name to help me to know what's wrong with this line of code. I can call on his name to help me in me to work in me to make this website work to help these people. And when I realized that, that is the modern version of this. I don't need to bend a bronze bow to smite my foes, but I sure do need to type faster. And I need to get it right the first time. 
and I need to be able to find bugs in the code. And I need to be able to, to think sharp about what, how to do this and how to do that. And I can call on the Lord to help me just like David called on the Lord. With my God, I can scale a wall. He says that. That sounds crazy, right? If you've ever been in any of these situations where the Lord has helped you do a thing um, in your professional life or, or whatever, then you read that and you'll be like, yes, I didn't scale a wall, but I got, I got to say the right thing to this person at this right time. I got to make this right decision that turned out to be this awesome thing. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. <laughs> Again, I hope you don't do that this week. But I know people, and I have personally been in situations that were hopeless. And I said, God, I do not know what the solution to this is. But this can't go on. And then the next day, some corporate decision made in an office hundreds of miles away changes everything. And all of a sudden, I have this great opportunity. And I have this great thing. Stuff changes. Laws change, right? Congress could change a law that changes everything for us that we thought was hopeless. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People who I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. This is all when David became king. When he ruled everything. And all the foreigners came to him to serve him. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. This is all looking back when it's all done. He lives in the best house, in the best city, in the best kingdom of God's chosen people in the whole world. And he can see all the great things that God has done. Then he has these last two verses. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Was a whole bunch of David's life terrible? Yes. (laughs) Did David suffer a bunch? I mean, think about how many people died that were his friends, that were close to him. It was awful. About a thousand years later, about 1100 years later, the Apostle Paul is going to write in Philippians, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, think on these things. So when David looks back over his life and he's praising the Lord, he doesn't have a bunch of snide little, yeah, God, except for Joab, like it would have been nice. My kingdom would have been so much better if you wouldn't have given me Joab. Yeah, God, if... Uriah would have just gone into Bathsheba's house instead of me having to kill my friend. That would have been a whole lot better. You don't get any of that because he's worshiping God and he is he is deciding 
to focus on the good things that God has done and recount them and give God praise. And it doesn't mean we brainwash ourselves and it doesn't mean we're naive, but we really do have a choice every day to think about the good things that God is doing or what sucks and what's bad. We can have a conversation about all the bad things on the news and how the whole world is just a mess. Or we can choose to talk about what God did today. Because God did something. Uh, it's like Jim saying, I'm on the right side of the grass. Even if that's all God did today is get you on the right side of the grass. That's a start. And if you do that every day, what happens? All of a sudden you have this whole life of living in a state of rejoicing, of living in a state of thankfulness, of living in a state of talking about and focusing on what God did. All right. That was the best after the credits scene I've ever seen in my life. Next week, we are going to have two more things that don't fit and are really strange and out of place, but they're awesome because they're from David's life and they have a lot to show us. So let's pray. Lord, you are great. Thank you so much for being with us all the time. Thank you so much for encouraging us and giving us opportunity by the power of your Holy Spirit to focus on what is good and lovely and right and holy and worthy. I pray that you would help us to do that this week, Lord, that we would build a whole lifetime of giving you thanks and giving you praise and giving you the honor and glory you deserve. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.